Amen. Acts chapter 1, verse 1 says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard, uh, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons which a father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power from when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood uh, by them in white apparel, who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. And they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. So if you've called Calvary Chapel Truckee your home, if you feel like this is your home church and you've been with us for a while, you know we've just finished this in-depth study of the gospel of Matthew. Uh, you know, we took a long, detailed, in-depth look at that gospel because you know what? Our desire is to know as much as we can possibly know about Jesus Christ. You know, uh, the reason we want to know as much as we can know about him is because he loves us so very much. And the more we know about him, the more we know about the things that he said, the more that we know about the things that he did, you know, the mercy and grace that he had for people, which, by the way, is the same mercy and grace that he extends to us today. You know, but the more we know about his love, his forgiveness, his character, his nature, the more we fall in love with him. And that's our desire. Our goal is now that we've finished the gospel of Matthew is to continue verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the entire uh, Bible. The next book that we're into is um, the gospel of Acts. Uh, sorry, the book of Acts, you know, and, and then we're going to just continue on through the, the uh, entire Bible, the entire New Testament, and then on into the Old Testament. Having laid the foundation of Jesus Christ, as we saw in the Gospel of Matthew, we want to build upon it the way Isaiah said in Isaiah 28, you know, uh, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little, with the goal being exactly what Paul said in Ephesians uh, 4, 12 through 16. We do this for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to the perfect man, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine 
by the trickery of men in cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by whatever, what every joint supplies according to the effect of working by which every part does its share, causes growth to the body for the edifying of itself in love. You realize that's God's heart for us? You know, that's God's will for each of us, that we would grow in our knowledge of Jesus Christ, that we would become mature in him, that we would be able to rightfully divide the word of truth, and that we would uh, live the things that we say we believe. You know, the, the things that we confess that we believe, that they would be evident in our life, that we would speak the truth in love, that we would be joined together, knit together, and that we would build each other up, edifying each other up in love. This is God's will for us individually. This is God's will for us as a church. And I know as we make the study of God a priority in our lives, as we go deeper into our study of the New Testament, as we give ourselves to learning about the Lord, growing in the knowledge of his grace, you know what's going to happen is we're going to see God doing great things in us and through us for his glory. So, you know, like I said, I'm super excited about the book of Acts, that we're studying it as a church. Uh, your Bible, if you look down at your Bible, you may, you may have a title in your Bible, the Acts of the Apostles, but, um, you know, that's not an inspired title. The better title would be the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles, because that's what the, the book is all about. That's what we see in this book. You know, we see the person of the Holy Spirit working powerfully through the followers of Christ. You know, and I'm looking forward uh, with anticipation and expectation to see what the Lord is going to do in our lives as we study this book and how he's going to reveal himself to us, right? You know, reveal those things that he wants to work in our lives through the Holy Spirit as we study this book. So in verse 1, it says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. The, the book of Acts, uh, if you don't know, it was written by Luke, right? Um, in the former account that's being referred to here, of course, is the gospel of Luke, right? It was a two-volume set. And Luke is writing to this man named Theophilus. Uh, you know, I don't know if you guys know this, but when I was born, my parents almost called me Theophilus. They did, because they heard the doctor say, that's Theophilus-looking baby I've ever seen. You know, I know it's a bad joke, but everybody has a right to hear a bad joke once, right? But um, anyway, I, I do love that name Theophilus because what it means, it literally means lover of God. You know, it's a beautiful name. But in Luke uh, 1.13, he refers to Theophilus as the most excellent Theophilus. <clears throat> and so that leads us to believe that he was a Roman official since that type of a title was reserved for um, such men. But here in Acts 1.1, Luke addresses him as O Theophilus, right? It's a less formal term. 
And what it leads us to believe, it would seem, is that as a result of the gospel of Luke, Theophilus becomes a believer. He becomes a Christian. He places his faith in Christ. You know, we must never, ever underestimate the power of our witness, right? Just telling people of what Jesus has done in our lives, telling them what he means to us, right? You know, it's important. We should never underestimate the power of the word of God either to transform a life, right? Sometimes I think that's a tendency of a lot of Christians. They forget that their, their testimony is irrefutable. You know what? Hey, listen, this is who I was before I Christ. No, uh, you weren't like that. No, that's the way I was before I met Jesus Christ. And this is who I am now. No, you've always been. No, no, it's not true. I have the same testimony, by the way, as you guys do. I was a sinner saved by grace. And you know, I was running as hard and fast as I could to, to go to destruction when I met Jesus Christ. He turned my life around. No, that's not. No, that's true. It's irrefutable, right? But you know what? We also have a tendency, I think, for a lot of Christians is to think that, you know, to forget that the word of God is very, very powerful. Paul said, Romans 1, 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, uh, to the Jew first and also the Gentile. You know what we need to do is to speak of what Jesus has done in our lives, what he's done for us, and open the word of God and share it with people. You know, and God will use that to touch the hearts of people around us. I promise you. Well, in, in verse 1, he says, the former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus both began to do and teach. Okay? It needs to be in that order. That's the divine order that Jesus left for us as an example. Right? It's the order that people take notice of. It's the order that will cause people to pause and listen. Doing without teaching is actually selfishness right? Obeying God's word, never sharing his love. It's not what he wants for us as his followers. That's not the way he wants us to live our life. Teaching without doing is hypocrisy. Always telling people what they should do and never trying to live that way, right? Never trying to live that life. I mean, what it does, it just embitters people and it turns them off, right? Yeah, but it's when we live our lives according to God's word and teach others to do so also, you know, there's power in that. And people are willing then when they see that to listen to what we have to say. That's when that that we'll see the power in our ministries as we do those things. Well, he says, the former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. And what I love about this verse is it's what he began to do and teach. Jesus is still doing and teaching. You know what? He's working in each one of us. He's working through each one of us. And he continues to teach each one of us as we dig into the word. And his desire is for us, in turn, to teach and disciples other, others in the faith. That's his heart. Verse 2 says, until the day in which he was taken up after he through the Holy Spirit had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering 
by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now, three times in the 12 verses we're looking at today, four times uh, in this chapter, we read the words taken up, right? Uh, Here in verse 1, then in verse 9, uh, did I say verse 1? It's verse 2, then in verse 9, verse 11, and then later we'll get to it in another study, verse 22. Uh, We read four times, taken up. Jesus, for 40 days, Jesus revealed himself to the disciples before he was taken up, along with those other men and women that were following him at that time. He gave the apostles, which uh, he had chosen, certain commandments that were pertaining to the establishment of his kingdom. And listen, you have to understand this. There was absolutely no doubt in their mind, in any of their minds, that this was the same Jesus who lived and was crucified, who died on the cross, was buried in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, and three days later, he rose from the dead. There was no doubt in any of their minds because Jesus showed himself to them with many infallible proofs, right? So you might want to underline that phrase in your Bible, infallible proofs. Infallible means foolproof, watertight. It means dependable, surefire, flawless, fail-safe. Infallible proofs means literally undeniable, incontrovertible, unarguable proofs, right? There's no doubt, there's no refuting that this is, in fact, the same Jesus. This is the very same Jesus who lived, died, and was bodily resurrected that now sits at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. And I tell you what, he's praying for you right now. He's praying for me right this now, this very moment. He never stops interceding for us. And for me, just that understanding is such a comforting. It's such good news to me. I I love it. Well, verse 2, it says that he was taken up. And verse 9 says, a cloud received him. It's been said that the resurrection is God's amen to all that Jesus did and said. And I actually think that's true. Because if Jesus didn't live a perfect life, if what he said wasn't the absolute truth, then God wouldn't have raised him from the dead. But now Jesus is taken up and received into heaven. If the resurrection is God's amen on all that Jesus did and said, then his ascension is the proof that his work of salvation is indeed finished. There's nothing more that can be added to it. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. Um, It's a gift of God to anyone who's willing to believe, not of works, lest any man should boast. Jesus was taken up and received into heaven back to a place of honor at the right hand of God the Father. He was taken up and received into heaven back to a place of honor where he enjoyed communion within the Godhead, right? A place of worship 
well, where the angels worshipped him. But now, as he's been received back into heaven, now he's more than that. Right? He's, in, he's our faithful high priest, the author of eternal salvation to all who are willing to obey him. Right? We, we may not see Jesus today with our eyes. We may not hear him today with our ears. But he still wants to speak to us, right, regarding his kingdom. How? Well, first and foremost, of course, through the word. But he also wants to speak to us through, you know, the, the trials and tribulations we encounter as we go through life. You know, maybe you've had a, a hard day already this morning. Maybe it was tough to get to church today. Maybe you just made it by the skin of your teeth. I don't know. Maybe it's been a tough week for you, a, a disappointing year for you, a, you know, a difficult life. You know, life, it, it's full of hardships. And it's in the hardships, it's through the difficulties that we face in life that the Lord would speak to us concerning his kingdom. He would lovingly say to each of us, my son, my daughter, you know what? This place isn't your home. Don't set your minds on, on things of this world because this world is passing away, right? But instead, fix your eyes on me. Fix your eyes on heaven. Fix your eyes on eternity. You know, set your mind on the things that are above. Right? Jesus said in John 14, verses 1 through 3, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Let not your heart be troubled. You know what? It's during the hard times that the Lord reminds us to look up. Right? It's in the hard times that we long for heaven. You know, it's in the hard times, those confusing and difficult times that we're not to allow our hearts to be troubled. <laughs> Why? Because Jesus was taken up and received into heaven where he's preparing a place for you. And, and you know what? Uh, maybe you've heard me mention this before. Maybe this is the first time you've heard it. But there in those verses, John 14, 1 through 3, where you read the word you, it's you singular. It's you specifically. It's not you guys. It's you. It's you. It's you. It's me. Right? He's preparing a place for you in heaven. And it's through the trials and tribulations that we go through here on earth that he gets, that, that he gets us to look up. Through those things that he causes us to look up, through the trials and tribulations we go through here on earth, it's through those things that he causes us to long for heaven. I don't know about you, but boy, I'm, I'm ready to go home. And one day, he's going to come again for us so that where he is, there will be. You know what? Uh, I'll just be honest. I don't know where heaven is. And I, what I mean by that is I don't know if it's here on earth, if it's someplace else, I don't really know. But I do know this, where Jesus is, when he comes again and receives us to himself, where Jesus is, that's going to be heaven. That's going to be heaven. That's where I long to be. 
verse 4, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of, of the Father, which, he said, you've heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, you may already know uh, there are three Greek words uh, used to describe the work of the Holy Spirit in relationship to uh, mankind, to believers, right? The three Greek words are para, in, spelled E-N, in, and epi. And the Greek word para means to come alongside, right? The work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a person prior to receiving Christ as their Savior is to come alongside them and convict them of their sin, to reveal to them their need for a Savior, to reveal to them the need to be born again. And an example of this would be John 14, 17, where Jesus said, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with, that's the Greek word para, right? Meaning with or alongside. He dwells with you and will for them future be in you, right? When our friends or maybe our family members told us that Jesus loved us and wanted to forgive us of our sins, if we would come to him, if we would confess our sins to him. You know, the understanding that we had at that moment where we chose to ask Christ to come into our life, the realization that we, that we needed a savior, right? The, the desire to be forgiven of our sins in that moment, that was a direct result of the Holy Spirit coming alongside of us, right? Working in our hearts, revealing to us the need we have for Jesus. Now, the Greek word in, the second word, right, is used of the Holy Spirit when he comes into your life, right? And, and uh, the instant that we open our hearts to Jesus, receive him as an example, the Spirit comes into our life, into our heart. An example of that would be John 20, 22. John writes, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus breathed on the disciples and the Holy Spirit entered their lives, taking up residence in their heart, right? When we ask Christ into our hearts, the Holy Spirit enters into the heart. He takes up residence. And it actually, the Bible actually tells us that the Spirit within us is actually um, you know, the guarantee of redemption. It's the seal that God places on us is that Holy Spirit within us. Now, the third Greek word, epi, is used when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, right? Empowering us for service, for the work of the ministry. An example of that would be here in Acts, 5, uh, Acts 1, verse 5. Again, look at it. Jesus said, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, I want you to notice in that verse, Jesus said, truly John baptized you with water. The Greek word used, uh, translated baptized, the Greek word there is baptizo, right? And it means to immerse, to submerge. It means to, uh, to overwhelm, to make overwhelmed. 
And then Jesus uses the same Greek word speaking of the baptism of the Holy Spirit that he used to describe the baptism of John. When we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, again, the purpose is to empower us for the work of the ministry, not so we can feel good about ourselves, right? But when we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, he comes upon us and we're totally immersed in him submerged over our heads. We're in the deep end of the pool, overwhelmed by his power in our lives. You know, um, you may want to read again, maybe in your quiet time, Ezekiel chapter 47, right? But just a a quick overview of that chapter, you you might recall that there's a, a, a river flowing out of the temple, you know, the Holy Spirit is often spoken of as a river. You know, Jesus pro- promised rivers of life, torrents of living water flowing out from, from us. And uh, so in Ezekiel 47, I think this river is, is a, a picture of the Holy Spirit. And an angel comes along and he measures out a thousand cubits for um, Ezekiel. And Ezekiel wades into the water and the water's up to his ankles. The angel measures out a thousand more cubits. Ezekiel goes into the water and now the water's up to his knees. And so the angel then measures out another thousand cubits. And now the water's over Ezekiel's head, right? He can't cross the river. He's just, it's over his head. And I don't know about you, but that's what I want in my walk with Jesus Christ. You know what? That's what I want in my service to the Lord. I want to walk with the Lord in such a way I want to be going deeper and deeper with the Lord. I want to be over my head, completely immersed, overwhelmed, empowered by the Holy Spirit so that I would be fit for the Master's use. Right? A witness for Jesus Christ. It's the Holy Spirit that empowers the church. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit that we need in our lives to do the work of the ministry. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Well, you might say to me, you know, well, Gary, you know, that's what I want. I want the power of the Holy Spirit in my life. I want to be empowered uh, by the Holy Spirit to live my life for Jesus Christ. I want to be a witness for him. Well, how do I get it? Well, Jesus said, John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And he also said in Luke eleven thirteen, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? It's in the same manner that God gave the Son that he gives the Holy Spirit. So I ask you, how did you receive Jesus Christ? How did you receive God's Son? Well, you know, you asked him to come into your life and then you received him by faith. It's the same way that we receive the empowering of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit for the work of the ministry. It's the same way we receive the Holy Spirit to empower us to be witnesses for Jesus Christ. You know, you ask him to be poured out upon your life and then you receive him by faith, right? No one asks God the Father to fill them with the Holy Spirit 
and then is the same person they were before they asked, right? There's a supernatural work that takes place. Jesus promised that if you'll ask, then you'll receive, right? Someone might say, well, you know what? I've asked and I've prayed for the Holy Spirit and I don't feel any different, you know, after asking. You know, and that's something that I actually hear a lot from people, right? Okay, uh, suppose that someone you've been witnessing to asked Jesus into their heart, right? They ask him to forgive them of their sins, be their Lord and Savior. They pray, they confess their sins, they repent of their sins. Um, they, they confess Jesus as their Lord and they believe that Jesus died for them and that he rose again the third day. And then suppose they come to you the next day and uh, ask you to pray with them that they might receive Jesus Christ to be saved. And they do this every day for an entire week. Every day. What would you say to them? Well, I'm sure you'd point them to Ephesians 2.8. And it's one verse that we already kind of referenced already. Ephesians 2.8, uh, we mentioned it. For by grace you've been saved through faith. Right? And then you'd probably follow that up with Romans 10, 9 and 10, which says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And then you'd probably drop down a little bit and show them Romans 10, 13. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And you'd probably then reassure them, explaining that Jesus promised in John 6, the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out, right? Jesus is never going to reject that person that comes to him in faith, believing that he is the son of God, confessing him to be Lord, believing in their heart that he died on the cross for their sins in their place, that he was buried, rose again the third day. And you'd explain that Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, right, said, whoever would call upon the name of Christ shall be saved, period, end of story, right? Now, the same is true about the Holy Spirit. Jesus promised that whoever asked for the Holy Spirit would receive the Holy Spirit. And he is received by faith just as Jesus is received by faith. Well, yeah, Gare, uh, you know, I believe that too, but, <laughs> you know, ever when people say that, yeah, I believe that too, but I've prayed and asked for the Holy Spirit to fill me, but I don't feel filled, you know? I don't feel immersed. I don't feel submerged. I don't feel overwhelmed or empowered by him. Again, this is something that I think a lot of people in the church are a little bit confused about. We are filled with the Holy Spirit when we're saved. We ask Christ to forgive us of our sins. The Holy Spirit comes into our life. He fills us. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the empowering of the Holy Spirit is for a work, right? So, you know, God has a work for each one of us to be part of in the regards of building his kingdom, right? And that work he has for us will require the Holy Spirit being poured out upon us. So if you don't feel empowered or there's no fruit in the work you're engaged in, then I would ask you, have you sought the Lord about 
you know, what he'd have you do and how he would have you go about doing it. You know what? We need, as Christians, we need to pray. We need to be people who seek the Lord for his direction. We need to seek the Lord for his vision, for what he'd have us do and how he'd have us do it, right? And then we need to wait on him for the empowering. Look down Acts chapter 1, verse 5. Look down at it again and notice that Jesus doesn't say, receive the Holy Spirit right now. It's not what he says. In fact, in verse 4, he commands the disciples not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Right? They've already received the Holy Spirit. Remember, Jesus breathed on them in John 20, 22. But the work of the ministry... The power to be witnesses for Jesus, they had to wait on that uh, power. They had to wait on the Spirit. Well, that's not good news. I mean, why do we got to wait? I hate waiting. You know what? I mean, like, remember, I don't know about you guys. Uh, this isn't in my notes or anything. I just thought of this. Remember when microwaves first came out? It took an hour to bake a potato. And all of a sudden, you know, you get one in 30 minutes or 15 minutes, whatever it is. Now, you know, you throw something in the microwave, it takes three minutes. You're like, oh my goodness, I can't take so long. Anyway, we hate waiting. We're an impatient people. Well, there are reasons why God will have us wait. One, waiting on the Spirit is good because it protects us, right? When we wait on Him, it keeps us from getting out in front of Him. Psalm 32, verse 8 and 9, the Lord says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near to you. To you. The Lord doesn't want us to be like the horse, ready to bolt, you know, at the drop of the hat. But he doesn't want us to be like a mule either, stubborn old mule digging his heels in, when uh, he wants us to go forward, right? God wants us to be looking at him, waiting on him, you know, uh, so that when he's ready to move, you know, just, just at a glance, he can look over and, and, we're, and we go forward. That's what he wants for us. If necessary, God is willing to use the bit and bridle, which represent painful processes in our life. If necessary, he'll... He'll use painful processes to bring us under his control. Frankly, personally, you know, I'm tired of learning the hard way. You know what? Somebody says the stove is hot. I put my hands in my pocket now and I take a step back. That's good enough for me, right? At this point in my life, I want to just surrender to him and wait on him to lead and to guide. You'll recall that Abraham didn't wait on the Lord to fulfill God's promises to him. In fact, what he did was he took matters in his own hands in order to help God out. He knew what God had promised. So, hey, why not just, you know, head down that road? You know, and, and you know what he did, right? He went into Hagar, right? In order to fulfill the promise that God given him, the promise of the son. Abraham and Sarah, they probably thought, you know, hey, God promised it. I mean, it's God's plan to give us a son, you know, and might even be wrong if we just wait around and do nothing, right? After all, I told us, you know, uh, what he was going to do. So, hey, Abraham, Sarah probably said, time to get busy, man. Go over there, help God out, you know? 
But it was a mistake, wasn't it? It was a mistake. It was because they failed to wait on God. It was because they got out ahead of God. It was through their efforts that, you know, Ishmael was produced, a work of the flesh. And, you know, uh, it's been a problem for Israel ever since, even to this day. God doesn't recognize the works of our flesh. Case in point, Genesis 22.2, God says to Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Well, hey, Abraham has two sons and he loves them both. Ishmael and Isaac. But God doesn't recognize the works of the flesh. The second reason it's important to wait on the Lord is for vision. Jeremiah 33.3, the Lord says, Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. God wants to give us vision. He wants to show us things we don't know, things that we're not aware of. Proverbs 19.2 says, It is not good for a soul to be without knowledge, and he who sins hastens with his feet. Again, it's a sin to be in a hurry and get out in front of God, right? But it also says it's not good to be without knowledge, be without vision. The NIV translates Proverbs 19 to this way. Uh, Desire without knowledge is not good. How much more will hasty feet miss the way? You know what? Desire without knowledge, without vision, it's not good in the eyes of the Lord. Paul said one of the signs of being a child of God is that we're being led by the Spirit. Well, verse 6 says, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom uh, to Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put uh, in his own authority. I'm always amazed when people say they know when Jesus is returning, when he's going to come and set up his kingdom. You know, I've mentioned it before, but I remember back in 1988, a guy came out with a book, 88 Reasons, right? Why Jesus Will Return in 1988. Guess what the title of the second book was? 89 Reasons Why Jesus Will Return, 1989. I mean, it's crazy that people don't just hear Jesus and take him at his word. Right? It's not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has put in his own, in his own authority. Deuteronomy 29.29, though, says this. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. Certain things are just for God. right? And he has revealed to us all that we need to know. He's entrusted to us all that he would have us make known to people who don't yet know him. Now, verse 8 starts out with the word but. But is a contrasting word. He's contrasting uh, the verses that came ahead with verse 8, and it says this, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Instead of knowing Uh, when Jesus is going to establish his kingdom, we need to just be busy about the kingdom. You know, one of my favorite museums is the California State Railroad Museum. Have you guys ever been? It's a wonderful museum. I tell you what, uh, we haven't been there since we've been back in the States, but I'm hoping we'll be able to make it over there soon. But it's just my favorite museum. 
I mean, all these old locomotives restored just so beautifully. These locomotives that were used to push westward, right? Uh, through the plain states to the Pacific, right? Uh, enlarging the borders of the United States, right? And I think it's interesting to note as you're admiring these beautifully restored locomotives, to note that the steam that the boilers produced wasn't just to toot the whistle. Toot, toot. That's, that's not what it was used for, right? You know what? The steam was there to empower the locomotive, to move it forward, to get, uh, to give it the power needed to get the job of moving the cargo to the desired location, desired, desired destination. And it's kind of like the empowering the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit is not poured out upon us so that we can feel good about ourselves, so we can feel, you know, like a whoo down our spine or something like that. You know, the Holy Spirit is poured out on us in order to empower us to get the gospel out to the world, to deliver the cargo to the desired destination. And I think it's worth noting there in verse 8, it doesn't say, you will witness. Again, look, at, look down at it and see what Jesus says. He says, you shall be witnesses. Things will happen just supernaturally in a natural way, right? Your life will be a witness of the reality of Jesus. It's not something we do necessarily, but it's something that we are. We're a witness. I remember one time when I was working for the Department of Defense, you know, uh, practicing physical therapy in, for the Army in uh, Kotterbach, Germany. One day there was this patient uh, that came. He was my last patient before lunch. And, uh, you know, he finished up his treatment and he sat down at my desk and he said, you're a pastor, right? You know, I always love it when people say, you're a pastor? Yeah, yeah crazy, huh? Uh, he says, but you're a pastor, right? And he begins to pour out his heart to me, right? The things that he was going through. And he told me about a friend of his who was a Christian that deployed with him to Afghanistan. And he told me how his friend did something that was kind of stupid and it resulted in him being demoted in rank. And he said, you know, I, I, I know... Uh, my friend's just like me. It's important for, for him to work hard, to do a good job so he can achieve rank. But when he was demoted, it bothered him for a little while. But then he said, that's ah, all right. You know, it's all in God's hands. And that patient, he told me that he saw his friend had peace in the situation. And it didn't seem to bother him. And then he said to me, if it was me, I would have been discouraged. I would have been bummed out. I saw he had peace. And I want that kind of peace in my life. How do I get it? He saw the witness of his friend's life. Right? His friend was a witness to the reality of Jesus Christ. He also knew I was a Christian. So he asked me about this peace that his friend had. And how he could experience that kind of peace. And God supernaturally just opened a door for me to witness to him, to open my Bible right there and then and share the gospel with him. I shared with him how sin separates us from a loving God, a God who loves us so much that he made a way for each of us to come into a right relationship with him. You know, and that way is through the cross. 
in that moment, God gave me his heart and the words that he wanted me to share with this young man. You know, I was able to meet him right then and there, right where he was at and minister to him because of the witness of his friend, right? It was supernaturally natural. It was wonderful. And I, and I think another thing that's worth noticing in verse 8 is as we wait on the Spirit, He will allow us to be witnesses locally, and then He'll enlarge our sphere of influence, right? You shall be witness to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Before God takes us across the sea, He wants to take us across the street, right? Would you like to be used in a, in a greater way by God? Yeah, I do. Would you like to see God use you in, in greater measure? Yeah, I do. Would you like to see Jesus do radical things in your life? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I want. Then you know what? The way we get it is just by being faithful in the little things he gives us to do. That's it. Seize every opportunity that he gives you right now. Live radically for him now where you're at, in your job, in your neighborhood, amongst your friends, in school, right? Here in church, right? And you'll find as we serve him faithfully in the little things, he'll give us greater opportunities to, uh, to each one of us to do greater things for him. Jesus said he who is faithful in the least will also be faithful in much, right? The promise is if you'll live radically for him, he'll do radical things in your life. In verse 9, now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of the sight. And you'll remember that there was a cloud that was present in the wilderness, leading the children of Israel through the wilderness to the promised land. There was a cloud that filled the temple when Solomon dedicated the temple. You can read about it, 1 Kings 8. And I believe that was the same cloud that overshadowed Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration, where Peter, uh, he, he uh, called, called that cloud the excellent glory from which he heard God speak, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. I believe that this cloud mentioned here in verse 9 is not some wispy clouds in the sky, you know. I believe that this cloud is the very glory of God and it received him. Jesus was received and welcomed home by God the Father. And in verse 10, it says, And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven as he went up. Now the Greek, uh, the idea of the Greek here, uh, in regards to them looking up, seeing Jesus, you know, getting further and further away up into, up into the sky. The idea is the disciples, as they strained harder and harder to see him, they did it until their faces contorted, straining to see him. They're like, you know, like this kind of thing. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Jesus is coming again. This is the great time that everybody say, amen. amen. Praise the Lord. Jesus is coming again. You know, I, hello, anybody out there? <laughs> yeah, you know what? I mean, it's something to be excited about. Jesus is coming again. Revelation 1, 7. 
<coughs> says, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. He is going to return bodily in plain view of all the people in the same way that he went up. And he's going to return to the Mount of Olives, the very place that he ascended, Zechariah 14 tells us. You know what? The Bible teaches us that we are to live with a sense of urgency, that we're to live with an expectation of Christ's soon return. If you can, turn quickly with me to Mark 13. Uh, if you can't, you can just listen. But turn quickly there if you can. Mark chapter 13. If I can turn there quickly. Mark chapter 13, verses uh, 31 to the end. says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But of that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch and pray, for you do not know when the time is. It's like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch, therefore. He's speaking to all his disciples. Now he's speaking to us. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming. In the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And I say to you, I say to all, what I say to you, I say to all, watch. You know what? That's the way the early church lived. They lived in an expectation. They lived watching and waiting for Christ's soon return. Paul said, Philippians 3.20, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Titus 2.1, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 1.10, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. 2 Timothy 4.8, finally, there's laid up for me, Paul says, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And on and on the verses go. They believed, the early church believed that Christ would return in their lifetime. So how much more should we live today in expectancy and in, in living in an urgency regarding the soon return of Jesus Christ, our great God and Savior. Are you ready? Are you watching? You know, it could be today. I pray it's today. Could be as soon as 50 years from today. You know what? We're not to be concerned about when. We're to be living and watching and waiting and anticipating. We're to be a witness. We're to be busy about the kingdom getting the gospel out to our friends and family, our co-workers, our neighbors, everybody we see, get the gospel out to those that are lost around us. Verse 12 says, and then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey, right? Jesus is alive. Amen. Amen. Thank you. 
We're going to work on this through the book of Acts. Jesus is alive. You know, they were eyewitnesses who testified to the infallible, irrefutable proof that the same Jesus who died on the cross of Calvary was buried in Joseph's tomb, rose again the third day, was seen by the disciples over a period of 40 days, and then was taken up, received into a cloud in heaven. And it's the same Jesus who is coming in like manner. And he wants us as his church, as his bride, to be busy about his business, to be busy about the kingdom, waiting on the spirit for vision and direction, being a witness, empowered, asking the spirit to empower us to be witnesses as he leads us. And as he opens doors for us, we're to share the love of Christ and the plan of salvation offered to all men everywhere. We're to be filled with the Spirit for the work of the ministry. Again, we're to be watching, praying, living in anticipation until he comes again. You know what? I'm always struck by this, but it's really up to each of us to decide what we want to see God do in our lives. It's just up to us. He'll take us as far as we want to go, but he'll only take us as far as, as we want to go. He'll use you as radically and as wonderfully as you'll allow him to use you. You know, I don't know about you, but I want more. I want more. You know, I'm not done with my service to the Lord. I want more. The remaining days of my life, I want a Billy Graham life of ministry, a Chuck Smith life of ministry, Greg Glory, you name the guy. I want those lives of ministry cram-packed into my remaining days. You know, let's make a decision to run for him. Let's make a decision consciously that we're going to live for him. Turn our backs on this world and, and uh, turn this world upside down for him and for his glory. Amen? Well, let's pray. Lord, that's my prayer. That's my heart. Lord, would you use me? Lord, as a church, I'm sure my brothers and sisters would also echo that prayer. Lord, use us. Use us in our Judea and Jerusalem and uh, our Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria to the uttermost parts of the world. Use us, Lord, for your glory, for your praise. Lord, help us to be open to you. Help us to wait on you. Help us to seek your heart for what and how to go about it. Lord, use us. We ask it in your name, Jesus. Amen.